It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker today. Pastor Owen Lee is the senior pastor of Christ Central Presbyterian Church in Virginia. He is married to Margaret, and together they have three kids, Abby, Caleb, and Lizzie. He is one of Pastor Harold's dearest and longest of friends. He is a faithful preacher and messenger of the gospel. Would you join me in welcoming Pastor Owen Lee? <laughs> Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, what a joy, what a privilege to be here with you again. And I do bring you greetings from your sister church in Virginia, Christ Central Presbyterian Church in Centerville. Uh, pastor Harold was the pastor of our church for many years, and he is still missed and remembered with great fondness uh, to this day. Pastor Harold is one of my closest and dearest friends. Uh, our friendship began in college. And now all of our kids are either in college or out of college. In fact, our two youngest daughters, both named Elizabeth, uh, one goes by Lizzie, the other goes by Liz. Uh, they're becoming besties now, and Harold and I couldn't be happier or more proud. Well, anyways, uh, since we're uh, studying the book of Psalms this summer, I'm going to preach to you uh, from Psalm 32, which is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 32. Now, this psalm was written by King David. It's a psalm about King David confessing his sins to God and then receiving forgiveness from God. This is God's word. Would you please give it your careful attention? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with, brit, uh, with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the year 2018, about five years ago, there were two hashtags that were trending on social media, and some of you will remember this. It was hashtag MeToo and hashtag ChurchToo. It was a way that women were bravely telling their stories of being the victims of sexual violence because of men who abused their position, power, and privilege to satisfy their lusts and their egos at the expense of vulnerable women. 
And the hashtag church to meant that this sexual violence at the hands of men who abused their position and power wasn't just happening out there in the world, but also inside the church. And sadly and tragically, many well-known and influential Christian leaders and pastors were exposed for using their position and their power to sexually victimize the very people that they were supposed to protect and to shepherd and to care for. Thankfully, we now live in a time and culture that gets furious at men who abuse their power and position and, to, and, and privilege to exploit women and children. The rage is real and it's justified. We want justice and we want evil men who do such horrific things to be held accountable. You know, if King David were alive in 2018, then his name would have been the biggest name associated with the Me Too and the Church Too movements. And for those of you who may not know what King David did, let me tell you. And for those of you who may be familiar with this story, let me help you maybe to see it in a new light. So one late afternoon, King David was walking around on the rooftop of his palace, and he caught a glimpse of a woman who was doing a ceremonial washing according to the law of God. Her name was Bathsheba. She was not trying to be seductive. She was trying to obey the law of God. She was being, being obedient to God. David saw that she was beautiful. He got sexually aroused. And then he wanted her. And so David used his position, his power, his privilege as the king of Israel to have Bathsheba brought to his private chambers where she was coerced to have sex with him. Now we need to be very clear about what King David did to Bathsheba. He did not commit adultery. You see, adultery or an extramarital affair is between two consenting adults where there is no power differential, where there is no imbalance of power between the two people. What King David did was not commit adultery. Dr. Richard Davidson, a biblical scholar, said this, uh, just as intercourse between an adult and a minor even a consenting minor is today termed statutory rape. So the intercourse between David and his subject, Bathsheba, even if Bathsheba, under the psychological pressure of one in power over her, acquiesced to the intercourse, is understood in biblical law and so presented in this narrative to be a case of rape. What today we call power rape and the victimizer, not the victim, is held accountable. David did not commit adultery. He committed power rape. Bathsheba had no power to say no to the king. The power differential between King David and Bathsheba made it impossible for her to refuse him. You see, David was not an adulterer. He was a rapist. And what makes it even worse was that Bathsheba was the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers, Uriah, who was ready to die for his king. And when Bathsheba notified David that she was pregnant by him, David tried to cover up what he did. 
First, he called Uriah back from battle to have a weekend at home with his wife, and he was hoping that Uriah would sleep with his wife so that everyone would think that she became pregnant from her husband. But Uriah was such an honorable man that he refused to go home. He refused to be with his wife while his brothers were still fighting in battle. And so David came up with an evil plan. He sent orders to the commander of the army by the hand of Uriah and told the commander, put Uriah on the front lines of battle. And then when the battle becomes fiercest, have everyone else fall back so that Uriah would be left alone, exposed, and that he might die in battle. That's what King David did. It's hard to believe, isn't it? King David was, and I choose my word very carefully here, King David was a scumbag. You see, David used his position, power, and privilege as king to not only commit sexual violence, but also to orchestrate the murder of her husband to cover up what he did. You see, if there were ever a woman who should have used hashtag me too, and hashtag church to on her social media feed, it would have been Bathsheba. David was not only the king of Israel, but he was also the shepherd of Israel, the pastor of Israel. And what King David did should appall us. It should infuriate us. And it should make us ask, can there be forgiveness for a man like David? Should there be forgiveness for a scumbag? Like David. Friends, that's the context of our psalm today. When King David said that he confessed his sins to God and that he received forgiveness from God for his sins, these are the sins that he was talking about. The sins of raping Bathsheba and then murdering her husband to cover it all up. And David tried to hide and conceal and cover up what he did until the prophet Nathan courageously confronted him. Our psalm today gives us insight into what David went through internally, doesn't it? Both the misery that he experienced when he tried to cover up and conceal his sins, and also the relief and the joy that he experienced when he confessed his sins and received forgiveness from God. Now, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 really should be read together. See, Psalm 51 is David's lament psalm, the psalm where he asks for uh, God's forgiveness. And Psalm 32 is David's thanksgiving psalm, a psalm thanking God for the forgiveness that he received. You know, the gospel is more scandalous and more offensive than we like to admit. Many of us have heard the gospel is for the worst of sinners, and we nod. We've heard that enough times. But what if I tell you that the gospel is also for sexual predators and murderers? All of a sudden, that bothers us a little bit because we don't want people like that to be forgiven. And yet the very gospel that offends and bothers us also deeply comforts us, doesn't it? Because if God can forgive someone like David after what he did, then surely God can forgive anyone, no matter what they've done. You know, maybe another time, maybe next year, if I get uh, invited back, maybe I can preach to you a sermon 
on the great on what the grace of God looked like for Bathsheba, the victim of abuse and injustice. Right? We tend in in this story, we tend to center David in this story and, and the grace that he received as the perpetrator of abuse and injustice. But I think we also need to see the same story in a way that centers Bathsheba and the grace that she received from God as the victim of abuse and injustice. I think that side of the story is just as important. But for today, we're going to consider David and center his story in the forgiveness that he received from God and by implication, the forgiveness of sins that is available to anyone who would receive it. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness under three points that I believe our text highlights. First, the blessedness of forgiveness. Second, the need for forgiveness. And third, and most importantly, the reception of forgiveness. How do you receive this forgiveness? Let's begin with the blessedness of forgiveness. David says in verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I want you to notice David doesn't say, blessed is the righteous man. He says, blessed is the forgiven man. Blessed is the one who is forgiven of all of his sins. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? When you and I say, I'm blessed, we tend to mean, I feel inspired, I feel encouraged, I feel emotionally lifted up, emotionally filled up. And that's one way to understand the word blessed, common usage. But in the Bible, the word blessed means something deeper and something more profound. It means to experience complete well-being and profound fulfillment. It means to be happy and content in the truest and fullest sense of the word. David is saying that true well-being, true happiness belongs to the person who is forgiven. The most fulfilled life belongs to people who have been forgiven by God. Now, Jesus talked about forgiveness and what forgiveness can do in the life of a person. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us about a time when Jesus uh, met Simon, a religious leader. And, and this religious leader, Simon, had very little love in his heart. And at the same time, Jesus also met a prostitute, a woman of the night. And this woman loved Jesus. And she expressed her love for Jesus by washing his feet with her tears and with her hair. And she was even kissing his feet. And Simon, the proper religious leader, was shocked and offended by this outrageous and inappropriate emotional display from this sexually immoral, impure woman. But instead of rebuking the woman, Jesus defended the woman and he rebuked Simon instead, which I love. And Jesus said, Simon, do you know why she loves me more than you? It's because the one who is forgiven little loves little, but the one who is forgiven much loves much. She loves much because she knows that she has been forgiven much. But you, oh Simon, you love little because you think that you've been forgiven little. In essence, Jesus was saying that the most loving people 
who tend to be the happiest people, the most fulfilled people, the most blessed people in the biblical sense of the word, the most loving people, the people who love the most are those who know that they have been forgiven the most. See, there's a vital connection between forgiveness and blessedness. Those who live the most blessed lives, the happiest lives, the most fulfilled lives, are those who live the most loving lives. And those who live the most loving lives are those who know that they have been the most forgiven by God. And so the blessed man is the forgiven man because it's the forgiven man who lives a blessed life, a life of love, gratitude, and humility. I want you to think about this. Think about the happiest people you know. The people that make other people happy. The people that make other people feel safe. Aren't they the people who are full of love and gratitude and humility? And at the same time, the unhappiest people you know, the people that tend to make other people in their life unhappy and feel unsafe are people who are filled with bitterness, entitlement, and pride. A miserable life, an unhappy life. So that's the blessedness of forgiveness. Next, let's talk about the need for forgiveness. In verses three and four, David talked about the miserable effects of concealing and not confessing the sin in his life. David's unconfessed sin, right, had an impact both on his soul and on his body. It made his soul miserable and it made his body ill and sick. Guilt and shame over hidden and unconfessed sin can have very negative and harmful effects in your life. In David's experience, he tried to hide and cover up his sin, and it led to both psychological misery and physical illness. David said that it felt like his bones were wasting away, that he groaned all the time, and that his strength had evaporated like under the heat of summer. David couldn't eat or sleep. He was anxious, depressed. Miserable. You know, if you're a Christian, and if you try to hide or conceal your sin, it will make you miserable. Mentally, psychologically, you'll be tormented with guilt, shame, and anxiety. Physically, you'll sense your strength dry up, and you might even get physically ill. You know, whenever I do something sinful and shameful, like, yelling at my kids in sinful anger because I couldn't get what I wanted or they didn't give me what I wanted and I lose, you know, I lose my whatever and I I get angry and I sense the immediate emotional withdrawal from my kids and I sense the anger at my wife uh, because of my foolishness. Uh, Do you know what I want to do? I feel so defeated I feel so weary of myself, I just want to crawl into bed, hide, and take a nap. I've taken so many defeated naps, right? Where as I'm drifting off to sleep, I'm thinking to myself, God, just put me and my family family out of our misery. Just don't let me wake up. It'll be better for everyone. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever done that? If so, I understand. And in verse 4, David recognized that the misery that he felt was because of God. 
is because God's hand was heavy upon him. It was God himself who was making David feel miserable over his unconfessed sin. You see, the heavy hand of God was not God's judgment on David, but it was God's disapproval of David's sin. In fact, the heavy hand of God was really a form of grace. It was a sign of God's steadfast love for David. You see, God loved David so much that God made David feel miserable in his sin because God didn't want David to stay in his sin. He made him feel miserable in his sin so that it would compel David to confess and to repent of his sin and to be forgiven of his sin, which is what his soul desperately needed. You know, if there is concealed and unconfessed sin in your life, God, in his steadfast love for you, will place his heavy hand upon you and he will make you miserable and even sick because God loves you. God would do that to you in order for you to confess your sin and to receive the forgiveness that your soul is dying for. Now, some of you are going through life miserable and worn out, and it's because there is sin in your life that you're trying to hide or conceal, sin that you're refusing to confess, repent of, and to let go of. And your unconfessing, you know this, your unconfessing is killing you. It's draining you. It's making you miserable. The way David's unconfessing in his life drained him and made him miserable. You know, there's really basically three kinds of people in the world. First, there are people who think they're too good to be forgiven. Now they say, of course, I'm not perfect. I mess up once in a while. I sin and make mistakes occasionally. So occasionally I need God's forgiveness. So they admit they need forgiveness, but definitely not as much as that other person who's really, really awful, right? Now these people who see themselves as needing just a little forgiveness, these people tend to love very little. These are your religious, pharisaical people in church, the self-righteous people who are quick to criticize and condemn others because they see so much sin in others and very little in themselves. Second, there are people who think they're too bad to be forgiven. They say, what I've done is so bad, so sinful, so evil, God cannot forgive me. And even if God does forgive me, I can't forgive myself. Now, these people see themselves as being beyond the reach of God's forgiveness, and they're filled with guilt and shame that they cannot seem to ever shake off. And these people also have very little love in their hearts because their hearts are full of self-hatred shame and anger over what they've done. And when you're filled with shame, guilt, regret, and, and self-loathing, there's no room for love in your heart. And third, there are people who know that they need forgiveness and they know that they have it. If you know you need it, and if you know you have it, you're among the happiest, most blessed people on planet Earth. Love and gratitude are the result of knowing that you need forgiveness and at the same time knowing that you have it. So blessed is the one 
happy, fulfilled, loving, and grateful is the one who not only know that they need to be deeply forgiven, but who also know that they are deeply forgiven. And this brings me to my last point, the reception of forgiveness. So how do you receive this forgiveness of sins from God? Well, if you want to receive God's forgiveness, you have to do two things according to our text. First, you have to confess your sin. And second, you have to trust in the Lord. First, you have to confess your sins. In verse 2, David said that the one who receives forgiveness is the one in whom is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. The one in whose spirit there is no deceit is not an honest person per se, but a person who is honest about their sin. In order to receive forgiveness for your sins, you have to be honest about your sins. That means you have to stop denying your sin. Stop excusing your sin. Stop minimizing your sin. Stop uh, justifying your sin. In order to get forgiveness for your sins, you first have to own your sin. You first have to confess your sin as sin. In verse 5, we see David did just that. He honestly and thoroughly confessed his sins to God. And the thoroughness of David's confession is seen in that he confessed his sins in three different ways. Look at verse 5. First, he acknowledged his sin. Second, he did not cover his iniquity. And third, he confessed his transgression. And God, in response to David's confession, immediately and completely forgives David. Just as the thoroughness of David's confession is seen in his confessing his sins in three different ways, so the thoroughness of God's forgiveness is seen in God forgiving his sins in three different ways. Verse 5 says that God forgave his transgressions. Verse 1 says that God covered his sin. And verse 2 says that God did not count his iniquity against him. I want you to notice something here. When David tried to cover his sin, God did not cover it. But the moment David uncovered his sin by confessing his sins to God, then and only then, God covered his sins for him. So here is a gospel truth for us today. If you try to cover your sin, God will not cover your sin. But if you uncover your sin by confessing your sins to God, then God, God will cover it for you. And we see this gospel truth played out in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, don't we? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they tried to cover their sin with fig leaves, but it was useless. They couldn't cover their sin, so they hid from God by hiding in the bushes. But God, in his love and mercy, pursued Adam and Eve and confronted them about their sin, and God brought them to a place where they would honestly confess their sins to God. And it was only then, after they uncovered themselves, that God covered their sin for them. And God covered their sins, not with fig leaves, but with animal skins. You see, in order for sins to be covered, an animal had to die. Blood had to be shed. And that was our first clue in the Bible, that without the shedding of blood, that there would be no forgiveness of sins. 
So the first thing you must do in order to, to receive forgiveness for your sins is to honestly confess your sins to God. Second, you must trust in the Lord. And in verse 10, David said that steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. You don't receive forgiveness by trying to pay off your sins. You don't receive forgiveness by trying to torture and torment yourself with guilt and shame to somehow atone for your sins. You receive forgiveness by trusting the Lord, by trusting that God himself has done what was necessary to take all of your sins away. And what did God, in his steadfast love for you, what did he do in order to take your sins away, to forgive you of your sins? The gospel tells us that God sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross for our sins, to atone for our sins by the shedding of the blood of his son. You see, our transgressions are forgiven only because Jesus carried them away in his own body. Our sins are covered only because they are covered by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us. And our iniquities are not counted against us only because our iniquities were counted against Jesus on the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus, as our substitute, took responsibility for our sins, and he received the judgment of God that we deserve for our sins. And it was on the cross that Jesus truly experienced the things written about in verses 3 and 4 so that we wouldn't have to. It was Jesus whose bones truly wasted away. And it was Jesus who truly groaned. And it was Jesus who truly experienced the heavy hand of God, a hand so heavy that it crushed the life out of him. And it was Jesus who truly had his strength dried up as he endured the heat of God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus received what scumbags deserve, what David deserved, what you deserve. But I deserve. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news for people who know that they need to be forgiven of their many sins. To hear that we're forgiven because Jesus was condemned. To hear that our sins are covered because Jesus was uncovered for us. And to know that we have become the righteousness of God because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And we are saved from God's wrath. Because on the cross, Jesus was not. The gospel says that uh, you were so bad that Jesus had to die for you. And at the very same time, you were so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul quotes verse 1 of our psalm, and he tells us how to receive forgiveness. Paul says that you don't receive forgiveness by working for it or by trying to obey the law or, or by doing a lot of good works. You receive forgiveness by believing and trusting in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. You don't receive forgiveness for your sins by trying to pay for your own sins. You receive it by trusting in the one who already paid for all of your sins with his own life. Steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. You know, some of you are sitting here today and you don't know if God can forgive you for all that you've done. And maybe you've done some really terrible things. 
But today I want to tell you this. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, God can and wants to forgive you. And all you have to do is confess your sins to God and trust him. And the Bible says that God will not only forgive you of all of your sins, but his very steadfast love will surround you. You see, some of you have felt like regret and shame have surrounded you your entire life, but the gospel says that can be replaced, your guilt and your shame replaced with the steadfast love of God. No longer anxious and afraid, but confident and secure in the presence of a God who loves you, who delights over you, who delights to forgive you, and whose love surrounds you. You know, um, and, but I, I, I need to say this because sometimes this can be misconstrued. Forgiveness from God does not mean that you can escape earthly consequences for your sin. If you committed a crime, if you committed sexual violence or something like that, then you do need to go to jail and let earthly justice be done. But even in jail, you can be forgiven by God and be surrounded by the steadfast love of God. You see, the gospel will not save you from jail, but it will save you from hell, which is infinitely worse than jail. Now, King David loved God but he was still capable of great sin. In a moment of weakness and selfishness, he was capable of great evil. And if King David, a man after God's own heart, can do something so atrocious, so can we. That's humbling and sobering to realize that we ourselves are capable of great evil. And maybe there is a sin in your life that you're hiding and not confessing to God. And maybe God is making you feel the heaviness of his hand. And maybe God is making you feel miserable and restless. Do you know what that means? It means that God loves you. And he's pursuing you. Because God doesn't want you to stay there. He loves you too much to have you stay there. He wants you to bring you to a place where you will confess your sin, uncover your sin, so that God will cover it for you, so that you might know the relief and the joy of knowing that you are forgiven. So today, friends, if you're feeling miserable over some unconfessed and hidden sin in your life, can I urge you to do what David did? Confess your sins to God and trust in his loving kindness and you will receive and experience the complete and immediate forgiveness of all of your sins. And when you know that you've been this forgiven by God, it will fill your heart with love, gratitude, and humility and you'll be on the path to living the most blessed life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that there is no sin that could forever separate us from you. Thank you that no one is beyond the reach of your forgiveness. And I pray for 
my brothers and sisters in this room today, for those of us who need to be reminded that we're forgiven by you, for those of us who need to hear that even our worst and darkest sins can be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to believe this, to embrace this, and to let this beautiful truth of the forgiveness of sins transform us and turn us into the most loving, the most grateful and the most humble people that we might be among the happiest people on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.